up, Ducks? I posted the MLB playoff tree today. The wild card series starts tomorrow. I think we get four games each day. Um, and I posted some of my series bets I've made. And that took a little digging because, contrary to popular belief, I actually get to watch very little baseball outside of the Angels these days. And I haven't watched the Angels for at least a month because why would I? Uh, anyhow, I had today off from work because I had a few different doctor's appointments, specifically my biannual full heart workup and good news, all is well. Commission's going to live to see another day. But um, that time off today also gave me a little time to handicap these series, so I figured I'd share my thoughts for anyone who was interested, anyone who wanted a little insight uh, that uh, might enhance the way you view these wildcard games this week. And so... Starting off with Arizona at Milwaukee. So Arizona, middle of the road offense, 18th at WRC+. They make a lot of contact, fourth best strikeout rate in baseball. Um, that's all they do particularly well. They, they're pretty middle of the pack in terms of on base and, and power. So really their offense is driven by putting the ball, putting the bat on the ball and hoping it finds grass. But from there, they are particularly dangerous on the base pass. They have the second most stolen bases in the majors this year. The Brewers are slightly below average at preventing stolen bases, whereas Arizona has allowed the fewest stolen bases in the NL this year, so they should be able to keep Milwaukee fairly stationary. The Brewers do not have good bats. Bottom 10 offense overall. They like to run 11th in stolen bases, but bottom 5 in home runs despite playing in a pretty home run friendly stadium, so not a lot of power out there with the Brew Crew. They don't strike out a ton, but they do strike out more in Arizona. So really offensively, I think Arizona is the stronger lineup here, and they certainly have a significant edge in the running game, which can be big in the playoffs where you have to sometimes manufacture some offense. Looking at the pitching, game one is Fott, Fott Bottom Girls, Brandon Fott versus Corbin Burns. I know Burns is known as an ace. He took a little step back this year, and, and Fott has been dog shit. Uh, with an ERA north of five, but he's actually just been done in by a lot of home runs. And as mentioned, the Brewers are not particularly dangerous here so from like a strikeout minus walk percentage. Bott and Burns isn't really the mismatch many would believe it to be. Certainly Edge Burns, um, but it's not as bad as the ERA and all would, would lead you to believe. Game two would be Zach Gallen against uh, Freddie Peralta. Brewers have the edge here too, but Gallen can certainly go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Peralta or really anyone on any given day and he's outperformed his peripherals for nearly 700 innings now so I think he's in that ace territory we just have to give him credit that he's just really good at preventing runs and then if it goes three it would be Merrill Kelly against Wade Miley uh, Merrill Kelly has a really good strikeout weight 25% uh, that should be fine against the Brewers if he doesn't get into too much trouble with the walks Miley somehow has posted a low threes ERA despite peripherals near five He's done that with an obscenely low Babbitt, and I just don't think of a 36-year-old Wade Miley as some Babbitt-suppressing wizard. Maybe he deserves more credit than I'm giving him. Um, and I will say that Arizona is a, a bottom-10 offense against lefties who are a bit more difficult to run on, so maybe Miley could give him a little bit of trouble there. Of course, can't fully handicap the series without looking at the bullpens, and for this, I cherry-picked how each bullpen performs in medium and high-leverage situations because we want to filter out the mop-up innings and the low leverage spots because you just don't really see low leverage spots in a three-game playoff series. So that's the approach I took to handicapping all these bullpens and all these series. And here it's definitely advantage Milwaukee, hands down. They've got the best bullpen in baseball in these spots by, by XFIP. 
whereas Arizona's 18th. But we can't just look at rankings and assume Arizona's dead. You have to quantify it. In this case, the Brewers' XFIP is 3.7, whereas Arizona's is 4.2. So we're talking about a half-run difference over the course of nine innings, which isn't nothing, um, but nine innings is about what you'd hope your bullpen is throwing in a three-game series, give or take. So advantage Brewers in the bullpen no doubt, but a half-run over three games doesn't really move the needle a ton for me. For what it's worth, both teams are elite defensively, ranking in the top five. Uh, so put it all together, I like Diamondbacks' bats. I like the Brewers' arms. Gun to my head, I'd say the Brewers find a way to get it done, but with a style of baseball that should be played, if Babbitt shakes out relatively evenly, this series could be won on the base pass with the teams who, with the team who can just kind of manufacture enough offense to get by. And so I think Arizona is a very live dog here because of the edge they have there. I think it was plus 150 or so that I got them at, so whatever I posted in the, in the chat. Uh, also be looking to pick up some spots on the unders here. I haven't seen what those numbers look like, but I, I do feel like this is going to be kind of an old school gritty series where uh, you got to grind out some runs when it counts. Looking over at the Marlins and the Phillies, Marlins have the 10th worst, 20th best, everyone put that, we'll call it the 10th worst offense up against the Phillies with the 10th best. And there's no way to spin this into some sneaky edge for Miami like the way um, they did with Arizona and all that, that speed edge that they have. The Phillies are better in every facet offensively, except for strikeouts, but, but their swing and miss is backed up by top 10 power. They run a lot too. The Phillies just have a considerably more dangerous lineup. Uh, if you look at the pitching matchups, you're going to get uh, Luzardo against Wheeler. Luzardo faced the Phillies twice this year, 14 strikeouts, two walks. He's got a big arm that can go out and pitch very well against any lineup. He's up against the bona fide ace and Zach Wheeler. Still advantage Philly, no doubt, even though Lozardo threw out there and spent a great game. In game two, you got Braxton Garrett against Aaron Nola. Braxton Garrett is a very crafty lefty who doesn't give up anything for free, doesn't walk anyone, and he still misses plenty of bats despite being all over the zone. People think of Aaron Nola as an ace. He's definitely better than his mid-fours ERA says he was this year. But the Marlins faced him three times this season, and they scored 12 earned runs in 16 innings. So they don't seem to have any trouble with Aaron Nola. And if it goes three games, the Fish will either have Edward Cabrera or the veteran Johnny Cueto against what should be Taiwan Walker. Now, Cabrera has a huge strikeout arm. Saw the other day he threw a 95-mile-an-hour changeup, but he walks 15% of hitters. He's the type of starter you can see just not getting out of the first inning in a big game like this. So the Marlins might be better off with a veteran like Johnny Cueto here. Now, Taiwan Walker's been so-so this year. He's been dog shit in his last five starts. And ERA just under six. His peripherals are all right in line with that. So he's not throwing his best ball lately whatsoever. Miami also has a slide edge in the bullpen, but entirely neg negligible. Just nice to know that it's not a liability if they get into a tight late game. Um, they have a top five pen to be able to pitch in those high leverage spots. The Phillies are top 10 themselves, so no, no liability there either. Both defenses are pretty bad. You really can't look at this on paper and say the Marlins should win this series because offensively they're just so putrid in comparison to the Phillies. They should lose game one against Wheeler, but they're live dogs with Luzardo on the mound. And then in games two and three, you have starters for Philly that either the Marlins have tagged this year in Aaron Nola or that are just pitching really, really poorly as of late, like Tywon Walker. So um, as with the other NL series, the home team and the favorite should win. But the price here on the Marlins at plus 175 was, was just too good to pass up for me. Um, 
haven't seen the overs or unders yet here, but unlike the other series, I'd be looking for spots to hit the over here, I think, um, depending on what those lines come out at. Looking over at the American League, let's look at the Blue Jays and the Twins. Two very good offenses here, ranked 6th and 7th by WRC+, but they do their damage in very different ways. The Twins are a true three-outcome team. They strike out nearly 27% of the time. That's the most in baseball. They walk about 10% of the time. That's the fourth most. And they're top five in isolated power. They're also bottom five in stolen bases. So they're classic Earl Weaver, American League Baseball, get on base and try to find the three-run home run. The Jays, on the other hand, put the ball in play. Fifth, uh, top five strikeout rate. Uh, they still take their walks. They're in the middle of the pack in terms of team power and below average stolen bases, but they definitely got guys who can hit the ball over the wall and who can run. Thinking of Bichette and Springer and such. Obviously, Chapman and, and Vladdy can hit the ball over the wall. So the running game shouldn't factor in a ton here. It really just should come down to what if, if the Twins can do enough damage with the long ball to win the series. And if you look at the pitching matchups, game one, Gossman against Pablo Lopez, two studs. If you hadn't paid attention, Pablo Lopez really took the leap into ace territory this year. He should give the Jays plenty of trouble, no doubt. Unfortunately for the Twins, Gossman suppresses home runs just about as well as anyone, so the deck is stacked against them to, to get the big three-run homer in Game 1 off Gossman. In Game 2, you have Berrios against Sonny Gray. Sonny Gray is going to finish top five in the Cy Young voting this year, so again, Jays are going to have their work cut out. But Berrios, he's been about league average in terms of home run rate, so the Twins could run into one against them. But he's also pretty good at missing bats. And again, the Twins swing and miss more than anyone in baseball. Game three will either be Chris Bassett or Yusei Kikuchi against Joe Ryan. I think it'll be Bassett because Kikuchi is more prone uh, to the long ball. But the Twins have had more success against righties this year, but they just league average versus lefties. So there's really a case for either Bassett or Kikuchi, especially when you consider that Kikuchi misses a lot of bats. So um, maybe a slight edge to, to, to Kikuchi if Toronto rolls with him, but I think they have a great shot to win with either Bassett or Kikuchi. Countering will be Joe Ryan. He's been outstanding this year by strikeouts and walk rates, but he gives up a lot of home runs because he lives up in the zone uh, with that four-seam fastball. So the Jays aren't, you know, the, the big bopping team that they, they have been the last couple of years, but if Ryan wants to live up in the zone, that's dangerous. He can get burned because, as I mentioned, the Jays have plenty of guys who can hit the ball over the fence. So both teams have top 10 bullpens, uh, but one edge the Jays have is they do have the best defense in baseball too. Twins are about top 10, so no schlubs themselves. You can spin this in a number of ways, and that's why the series is basically a pick em. but for me it comes down to whether or not the Twins hit the long ball. Byron Buxton might be back uh, on the off chance he returns. He hasn't played in months. Carlos Correa should be back. But he's been down for a few weeks with plantar fasciitis and really wasn't all that impactful this year. Won't be healthy if he's in the lineup. Royce Lewis was on the field today practicing, could make it back. He was definitely their best hitter down the stretch, but he can't be anywhere near 100% if he is on the roster. So really, if those guys are in the lineup or aren't in the lineup, or if they are, I wonder how effective they will be. If those guys aren't in the lineup and fully healthy, the Twins are leaning on Edward Julian. Uh, Jorge Polanco, Alex Kirilov, Max Kepler to come through with those big homers uh, because they, they're not going to get them from Donovan Solano, Ryan Jeffers, Matt Walner, who I've never heard of before, Kyle Wal uh, Farmer, Michael Taylor. I mean, I guess he could run into one. So uh, I, I took the Jays minus 120 because I just think they have more ways to plate runs 
whereas the Twins are going to be banking too much on clutch homers from their B squad. And that's just living really dangerously against a team like Toronto. And then lastly, we have Tampa Bay and Texas. These are the two best offenses in the wild card round. Tampa Bay with the second best offense in the league. Uh, Texas number four, but we're splitting hairs there. They're quite similar in terms of contact, power, on-base skills, but the Rays are amongst the speediest teams in the league. They stole twice as many stolen bases as the Rangers. Both teams are pretty good at preventing stolen bases, but I'd expect the Rays to still pick their spots to generate some offense. Uh, both teams also top 10 defensively. So fundamentally pretty sound, but on the pitching side, man, Tampa Bay going with Glass now, Eflin, and Savali. All three of these guys have pitched like aces this year. The Tampa Bay Pitching Lab remains undefeated. No McClanahan, no Springs, no Rasmussen, no problem. They've got the guys, they've got the arms. It's really hard to overstate the edge Tampa has in this respect. The Rangers will go with Jordan Montgomery, Nate Eovaldi, and Dane Dunning. I like Montgomery. Uh, he's he's way out pitched his peripherals though. He's a solid number two or number three starter at best. And then when you mix in the Rays play the, the, the platoon game, the matchup so well. That's why they have a 120 WRC plus against lefties this year. You just love the edge in game one. And then Eovaldi, he went on the IL in mid-July because the Rangers saw his below was just tanking. And he's not the same guy. He doesn't have that 98 mile an hour fastball. He came back in early September because the Rangers needed him to come back because they were falling out of the race. He's made six starts since then. He's allowed 21 earned runs in 20 and a third innings. He's allowed over three home runs per nine. He's just a mess, <clears throat> and the Rays should really clown on him. And if it makes it to Game 3, Dane Dunning will take the ball, and he's nothing more than a serviceable back-end starter, and his pixie dust kind of wore off a bit near the end of the year, pitching to a 5.4 ERA over his last seven starts. So on top of the huge edge the Rays have in the bullpen, or excuse me, in the rotation, the Rangers' bullpen has been terrible all year with a 5.5 ERA in mid and high leverage spots. So I think the Rays roll here. I think they should be the biggest favorites on the board. That's currently Philly right now. I, I would bet them at 170 if I didn't have any action. I think minus 170 is, is fine because I, I love them in the series. But uh, for me, I'm just going to let that 20 to 1 World Series ticket ride and try to gain some more equity there, uh, there with a series win this week. So that's, uh, that's the lens of which uh, we'll be uh, watching these series. And uh, I'm, I'm excited for some, some good old-fashioned playoff baseball here. It starts tomorrow. Again, four games, potentially four games each of the next three days, depending how long each series lasts. So I uh, hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening.